to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 272, recorded August 6th, 2017. So we're finishing off the Kelvin series of Star Trek Starfleet Academy. Cool. So yeah. No Nog. No. We got five brand new characters, and uh, they're piecing together a mystery that uh, Uhura started three years earlier when she was a cadet at Starfleet Academy. Exactly. And we get to find out uh, what the heck's going on with all this in these last two issues. So a relatively short episode uh, today, unless, of course, we end up <laughs> droning on and on. Who would expect that? Uh, but, uh, yeah, we get to, uh, close up the storyline and find out what's going on here. Have we done that? Have we droned on off and chit chatted more than we're supposed to? Oh, oh, I just got through editing one that was an hour and 45 minutes long. Hour and 45 minutes. It really didn't need to be. Yeah, but I'm sure we had quality stuff to talk about. Well, it was all gold, but still. Yeah, of course. (laughs) It didn't all have to do with the issues at hand, but whatever. Okay. Anyways, so today we find out what happens to these guys. And if you remember last last week, we were uh, they're piecing together some mystery of uh, the USS Slayton. Right. That went missing a hundred years ago. And indirectly, or actually directly, led to the creation of Starfleet Academy. Very cool. Yep. Okay, so we got a race going on. That our cadets are in, and, uh, yeah. Should we proceed? Yeah, let's see what happens. Okay. Okay, so I'm doing the first issue, and that's actually issue number four, first issue for today. Published date is March 2016. There's no titles for these individual issues. Writer is Mike Johnson and Ryan Perot. Art by Derek Charm. Letterer, Neil Yataki, and Tom B. Long. Got two of them this time. Editor, Sarah Gados. Publisher is Ted Adams. So there's three covers. The main cover is by Derek Charm. And it shows our cadets on a planetary surface with some kind of huge worm-like creature with four talons coming out and then just a huge circular mouth with green slime and just teeth everywhere. And it's like, ah, and they're running like uh, really, uh, they're scared and they should be. And then we see like a ghostly blue Spock, a big, huge Spock head on the left side of the cover, uh, kind of looking over things uh, with disdain. Next one is retailer incentive cover. And that's by Milan David. And this one shows more of our uh, Captain Kirk, Uhura and Spock, Calvin Universe folk, and they're in, uh, I mean, they look old enough, old as they were in the movies and stuff, and they've got, uh, I guess, cadet uniforms on, or, no, no, those are dress blues, or gray, gray uniforms, anyway, it doesn't matter, they look great, it's their three heads, they're arranged, there's a little silhouette of the Enterprise cutting across behind uh, Herhura's head, neck, and then at the bottom, we have our uh, new characters, our cadets, that are in the uh, in the Starfleet race team. They're at the bottom, kind of like sil- silhouettes of them with a glow, glowing light behind them. The subscription cover by Robert Wilson the Fourth shows kind of like a, a slicey kind of uh, look to it. So we've got Talon in the lower left. Uh, we've got uh, Chev on the right. He's our Andorian guy. And then um, we have Grace. No, not Grace. Uh, Lucia in the middle. And then their heads are kind of uh, sliced. 
and there are gray um, little uh, string, uh, strings coming down that you can kind of see their uh, cadet shuttle, which is very cool looking. Very cool looking cadet shuttle. Anyway, the Starfleet team in the Centennial Competition Scavenger Hunt are now on Planetoid GP575. They are carrying out their assigned task to scan and analyze the planet's atmospheric composition. Vel is curiously looking at the small plant-like inhabitants of the planet. Chev is itching to get off the planetoid and back into the action of the race. They are in the middle of the pack now, at best, and they need to get going now if they're going to have any chance of even placing in this competition, in this race. Talon is not quite done with her analysis, and if they do not complete it, they will be disqualified from the event. Vel calls fellow cadets and is ignored. He calls several more times, fellow cadets, until he runs up to them and tells them, matter-of-factly, I am going to run away now. A huge worm-like creature with four hooks around a cruelly toothed mouth emerges from the ground behind them. Chev draws his phaser and tells them to get back to the shuttle while he slows the beastie down. They do what he says. His phaser, set for heavy stun, is having minimal effect on the beast. Chev is close to done for when the shuttle swoops down to him with Vel hanging out an open cargo hatch door. Chev jumps up into Vel's open arms and he is pulled back into the shuttle. They escape the attack and are heading up towards open space. Meanwhile, in Admiral Marcus's office, Spock is saving Uhura's bacon with a security clearance priority request filed five days before Uhura accessed the archive and got caught. It's proof to corroborate Spock's story that she was accessing restricted archives on a classified mission Spock was carrying out. Marcus does not like this one bit. He says something is fishy. But in the end, he lets her off with a stern warning to Spock about security protocols and line of command. Back in the space race, the Starfleet team knows their little adventure on the planetoid has put them in last place. They are on the verge of giving up when they pass close to Wagner 219. And they're told they are by an automatic, automated security system that displays a warning about it being quarantined due to temporal anomalies on the forward view screen. Looking up from her instruments, Grace says she has an idea to skirt the edge of a weird energy field close to that star to get a gravitational speed boost from it. She says it should take two hours off their flight time. They take a vote... And eventually, they unanimously decide to take the speed boost shortcut. Meanwhile, on Earth, three years ago, Spock joins Uhura, who is sitting outside on the shore of the San Francisco Bay. She asks why he lied for her, and he explains that technically speaking, he did not lie. Not really. He actually did put in a request to get her elevated uh, access five days ago after he spoke to Chekhov, who spilled the beans about what she was doing. Spock tells her he loves her, and he would do anything to get her out of trouble she was in, no matter how injudicious her actions were. She takes the big lug into her arms and gives him a big sloppy smooch. Meanwhile, back in the future, Grace reports the maneuver is working. Actually, better than she expected. After another beat or two, she reports, Oh, it's not that they're going faster, it's that space around them is slowing down? Suddenly, in a Voyager-like move, Chev's control panel explodes, hurling him back with severe burns. Vel is on it immediately and administers first aid. While the boys are busy on the ground... The later ladies look out the forward view screen at a much larger ship that dwarfs their tiny shuttle. It's the Slayton, NX-05. They hear transmissions from the ship. The same mutiny is taking place that Uhura heard three years ago.
The same mutiny that originally took place over a hundred years ago. Scene shifts to the bridge of the Slayton, where the mutineers have shot Lieutenant Bashir and are taking over the ship. The captain is still at the con and tells the communications officer to put the incoming hail on screen. It's Cadet Lucia Gonzalez coming over the Slayton's main view screen. She identifies the Starfleet Cadet Shuttle A317 and offers assistance. To be continued. Nay, to be concluded. Oh, I'm sorry. I misread it. I actually wrote down to be concluded. <laughs> Anyways, still love that ship. That is a beautiful, beautiful ship. That's a cool ship. What, why make it boring? Come on. Yeah, I mean, they, they could just make it boring. They make it just look like a J.J. Abrams shuttle. Uh, but no. I'm not talking about the shuttle. I'm talking about the NX-05. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Okay, so something. Okay, so this is the O five NX O five, but okay, I said this before, but it One looks one of the NX O fives. There's ahead, multiple NX O fives. Yeah, we talked about it last week that uh, the novel series has an NX zero five, and this this is a different one. Oh, okay. Anyway, well, like we, like we said last time, I don't want to repeat myself, but it's just funny how it doesn't look any different. Or at least it doesn't appear to be any different. I'm sure there's some differences on the outside hull somewhere. It just looks the same. Right. Well, the Columbia and the Enterprise looked a lot alike, as in exactly the same model. Yeah. Well, the Columbia, what was its registry? NX-02. Ah, Columbia was the second one. Okay, cool. Well, that's fine. But now you get down to five, it's like... Oh, right. Well, I mean, it definitely doesn't look like the Franklin... No, 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 no. Interesting about that, isn't it? It is. It is interesting that it's not the refit Enterprise. It would or the the refit NX series. I would have liked to have seen that in a comic book. That would be cool. Well, actually, we do. Oh, that's right. It was on Ahura's desk last week. Exactly, and I have something to say about that in the fifth issue. Okay. But is that kind of interesting, though? So in Beyond. The Franklin um, was a ship that came after uh, the NX-01, NX-05, for that matter. Yet, mm-hmm. it's a smaller ship <clears throat> than the NX-01, and uh, it looks quite a bit different. Was it smaller? I didn't catch that. Well, it's a smaller ship. As a matter of fact, I look forward to seeing the Franklin, one of the, you know, these great um, comparison charts where they show all the different starships and even ships from other franchises and show right. how they all, you know, relatively relative sizes to each other, which I don't know that they're always that accurate, but it's all made up anyway. But still, sure. <laughs> I'd like to see I'd like to see the Franklin in one of those just to see about how big it is next to NX01. So why do you say it's smaller? Is that what was in the Franklin Moss book that came with it? Well, um well, remember, leading up to the, the movie being uh, released, there were all these people doing analyses. So one of the analyses was they looked at the ship and they looked how big the view screen was, you know, the, the forward view screen, because the, the, it's all physical, real stuff in the Abramsverse. And they saw how big the front view window is, and they compared that to the rest of the size of the ship. And they, of course, compared that next to... Um, a variety of different normal, typical uh, Federation ships. And they said, that is an awful big window compared to the rest of the ship, so that must mean the ship's smaller. Mm. Anyway, I'm pretty sure it was smaller. But um, I, I would actually like to see those ships next to each other just to see for sure. Right. I would look. Yeah, anyway. Okay. Um, so what do you think? Um, this issue, it started off weird. I didn't really care for the, uh, monster with the little rose on its head. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Which is what Vel was playing with. Right. And if you remember, uh, Men in Black 2 had the same joke. Oh, did they? Yeah. Where, uh, there was an alien in the subway and he had a, you know, they looked down and it was just a little flower. 
but then when you disturbed it, you found out that it was just the little antennae of a, a giant subway-sized alien. Ah, similar okay. to this one. I mean, okay, okay, very, very similar. There you go. So, yeah, I, uh, yeah, and, and the monster—it was—it it looks like like a big lamprey, but with like four spiky things on it. It's like, eh, yeah. Yeah, it's like the the predator's mandible mouth. Yeah, the rest of the predator just exactly. just a mouth, right? No two mouth in a tube. No two by four coming out of it. Uh, <laughs> just uh, yeah. So Chev got to play hero. Well, good for him. Um, yeah, I, I kind of like how Lucia says, uh, you know, he he's a security officer in training. Right, and it's like, is he actually trying to be a security officer? Is that what he's he's uh, going I think for? So probably or engineering. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't think he's engineering. Yeah, okay. He well, seems security because he was the one that was in the phaser in that, fight. the phaser competition. Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't seem like. I mean, nothing against security people, except that they, you know, tend to be fodder in episodes. Sure. But it's but like that is the Andorian way. I mean, they're fighters. Yeah, right they're fighters. The there you go. Well, okay. It just doesn't seem like you're aiming very high. However, um, Tuvok was security chief. Yeah, and he was pretty important. Chekhov. 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 There you go. Okay. You made your yeah. point. So when um, back in the day when when they came out with a bunch of uh, video games like. Star Trek, Starfleet Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, they were usually set in the, uh, you know, Kirk era, movie era. So, um, but in them, you would do the Kobayashi Maru and all mm-hmm. that stuff, and you always played as the captain. And it always got me to wondering if, uh, if I was, I was like, so am I like, is is my character is is he going to be captain, or is that that's what he's training for? And all these other people, they're like. The highest I can ever reach is helmsman. So that's why I'm only the helmsman in all these simulators, and you're always the captain. Huh. It always kind of made me feel like, you know, uh, I mean, I get it that they, they, but they would all need to take command. Uh, they, I would assume that they would all take turns as being the commander because they all have to have command experience, and it was always odd yeah. that in the video games, you are the only one who ever is the captain in those in those simulations. Right. It just didn't seem practical. I don't. I don't think you're just groomed and you go straight from Starfleet Academy to Captain of the Enterprise. But as in the J.J. Abrams movie, <laughs> I guess you do. That is the case. <laughs> <laughs> well, come on. Kirk did save Kirk and crew. They saved everybody. Well, yeah, and crew. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they all got to. Uh, I mean, basically, they they populated the whole ship mostly with the cadets. Sure. And they left them there, pretty much. Yeah, that's true. Until they started uh, just, you know, apparently getting – not that we saw all that stuff that happened between um, the original 2009 movie and uh, Into Darkness. But there must have been a lot of problems, like some of the car- some of the books are showing. Um, and a huge chunk of the fleet did get wiped out by Nero, so I, I yeah. get that they might be short. Handed. Shorthanded a little bit, but yeah. come on. The flagship is captained by a cadet. Exactly. <laughs> by the way, I think it's a lot a lot better now that so many years have passed and sure. and Star Trek Beyond. So Kirk now has so much experience, he's actually thinking he's kinda of bored with it. <laughs> which is amazing. Right. But uh but I like a more mature Kirk. Agreed. I hope they make another movie. Um, there was an inner Nimoy, or not Nimoy, what am I talking about? Uh, Quinto. Quinto was doing a tour to promote some movie he was in. And he supposedly was saying, uh, things are on track for the next movie. Okay. So time frame is about right. Uh, you know, they got to do a lot of pre-production work and they got to get the script right and all that kind of stuff. So he's expecting to be called. Of course, that's so. just an actor. <laughs> right. Yeah, it'd be better if it was like uh, JJ <laughs> came up and said something. Or, yeah, uh, like a, 
I did Star Wars. I did Star Trek. Now I'm coming back. That would be cool. Uh, although, you know, I think Lynn did fine. Yeah, no. I'd no. be fine with him as director again, even though, mind you, I did scoff at first. Um, because I never really thought that much of the Fast and Furious movies. Right. Uh, never was a big fan of those. I mean, they're okay, but, you know. I thought he did a good job. I, yeah. I like Beyond a lot. In fact, I think I like it better than In the Darkness. Just because I had, I thought I had more character beats than, than that one. Yeah, like I said before, I, I certainly did. Yeah, anyway, so let's get back to the book. Yeah. So Val likes golf and Apollo space mission history, we find out. I like this guy. He's my kind of alien. Are you fans of those, those two things, too? I, I, I like golf quite a bit, and I love real space missions in, uh, you know. Right. In addition to the fantasy ones that we're enjoying now. Yeah, give me the fantasy ones over the real ones any day. Oh, but they're real. That's amazing. Yeah, but there's no lightsabers. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm with you. Uh, I'll be honest. Uh, Vel is my favorite character out of these five. Yeah, yeah. He, he's um, he's good comedy guy. Good comedic relief. And um, he, <laughs> yeah, he's good. Uh, my my biggest complaint on this book is that nobody, and and you maybe you're maybe you can correct me, but aside from Talan, nobody is really given a character arc in these. They just you know, to me I think uh, what's her name Chin and Garcia they can kind of be interchanged. Yeah, they're not really given much except for you know Garcia is obviously the, yeah. the you know when they contact them and she kind of acts like the captain a little bit but right not really well she's a team leader right even though that may not be official she's the team leader uh they gave us a little bit of character development or a little bit of information about um chev uh and his father his problems with his father and you know right back in striking. issue number two exactly so they gave you a little bit of background story about him but i agree with you but it's no it's not an arc it's more just no oh he doesn't he he wants to prove something to his father and we'll never talk about it again. Oh, he, has, he has a thing with that girl from the past. She never comes back again. And then, as we'll see in the next issue, he's even have may have a beginning as of a little romance going. But the issue ends then. So, but if they ever did continue this thing, you probably never hear about that girl again. Probably right. never would. I think you're right. I think you're. Damn it. Yeah, they're, they're really, you know, Talon, I like Talon, and mm-hmm. she's obviously a key player, and she'll become even more so as these last two issues get done. But um, she's kind of a, kind of a know-it-all, and just a little, I don't know, just a little bit too driven. It's like loosen up once in a while. All right, so it took you, what, about 45 minutes to give you, give us your explanation of of Talan. I could have summed it up with one word, Ken. What? What? Vulcan. Well, okay. She's very uh, Vulcan. Done. No. Uh, Everything you just said got, got said. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So Stereotypical it's, it's, so it's because know? Spock is half human. Yeah, that's why he's more interesting than the rest. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, definitely. Oh, speaking of Vulcans. Yeah. Um, what? Did you see that uh, Star Trek? Waypoint is going to do a Star Trek Phase 2, kind of a, a story before the Enterprise was completely refit, and that other Vulcan, I forgot his name, oh, was cool. going to be the replacement for Spock. The guy, then, that, you know, the guy that turned into uh, putty, or into a pool right. of, uh, exactly. of protoplasm on the transporter right. pad? Yeah. Exactly. Well, interesting. To, uh, I forgot. Vox. Uh, to Vox. Something like so that. is Decker going to be in there? Yeah, yeah, no, it looks okay. fantastic. That cool. waypoint is—it's pretty exciting because it could be anything each month. So, well, yeah. So we talked about how the idea that this is before the recording started about how Discovery was originally pitched by Fuller as an anthology, kind of like American Horror Story or something. So this is something we're finding out about now. 
Um, but that's not what the brass uh, at the studio wanted. They wanted something a little bit more traditional. You know, maybe the you know build these characters, carry these characters from season to season to season. Probably that was the the original idea. So it's going to be an anthology, the way Waypoint is, and the idea that you can go anywhere in any time period, maybe in any nook or cranny or corner of the Alpha Quadrant is pretty cool. They could do a lot with that, right? And they are with Waypoint. They could do that kind of stuff in the TV series too, although it would be, be pricey, much, much, much more costly yeah it would be more costly right but there is rumor that if discovery does not do well mm-hmm. in its first outing mm-hmm. uh, as a season then they may not have a second season and then they w- they supposedly have another series in the works which will outline uh cons uh time on seti alpha 5 and possibly flashback to the eugenics war uh, as a series cool that could be the second season of a quote-unquote Star Trek anthology series if the Discovery doesn't go too well. <laughs> it's good to have a backup plan. And Especially that, when it's a good one like that. Exactly, and that sounds like that comic book series we wrote or read. Right. That was great. Yeah, it would be good. Cool. Yeah, if they could do something like that, and that one doesn't sound like an incredibly expensive one because they wouldn't have to build brand new ships and stuff like that. It would just be, you know. A couple of desert sets or something, so maybe they could – maybe that would be a little cheaper one for them to make as opposed to Discovery. Yeah. Because Discovery looks nice. When, when I'm oh, seeing yeah. the trailers and stuff, I mean it looks – It's it's like – it's nice nice eye candy. Right. And and you know that's going to be 4K. I bet they're filming it in 4K at least um, so that when they you know produce the uh, DVDs and things or Blu-rays, it's going to be uh, – Every time they make a Star Trek series, it lives on for a long time. And they've spent a lot of money in redoing uh, Taws and Next Gen. And hopefully they'll spend the money on redoing Deep Space Nine. Um, so, hey, spend the money up front because you're going to get a lot of mileage out of these uh, these series you're producing. Right. Yep. All right. Well, back to this issue. Um, Spock is wearing his weird headband thing again so i'm assuming that that must just be the light that's the way the artist is depicting the light caressing his head i guess so but it does look like a metal band and it's always in the exact same position well well but yeah but it switches yeah position but it switches sides of head not in this one that was just that one well this i'm looking at right now it's always on the right side no take a right side take a look at the page that has, um, what is it? Uh, I don't know. What page is it? I can't tell. Um, but it's the page in, in um, the off- Admiral's office, Admiral Marcus's office. Uh, okay, I didn't go back that far. Yep, you're yeah. right. I see it on the other side. Yeah, the, f- the first panel and last panel, it's in the same place. But then to the left of the last panel, uh, right. it switches sides. Yeah, and then every other page that he's in, it's always on that that right side. So yeah, yeah. Again, one panel out of the whole book, it's on the wrong side. <laughs> <laughs> Wacky. That's weird. Anyways, I think it's just it's just the it's just some lens flare on his hair. Exactly, that's what it is. It's lens. It's hair lens flare. <laughs> so speaking of special effects, Shikau. Mm-hmm. Shikau. That sounds like a sound effect. But exactly. I don't know where you're looking at. It's the sound of the mutinous chief Summers phaser at the end of the issue. It goes shakow. Sounds about right. Yeah, I love it. It sound it when I was reading that it was like, hey, that's like in Ferris Bueller's day off. You know. <laughs> okay. Shika shakow You know that, that oh, old music thing oh, that was yeah. they were playing? Gotcha. I think you might be stretching there, but okay. No, that's that's it. Sugar, sugar. Don't, 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 don't. You know. Yeah, I got you now. Okay, okay. I'll stop doing it now. Anyway, I thought that was kind of cool. You know, uh, they 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 picked the Chicago sound. Um, it was interesting looking at that phaser too, because it looks a little different from what I'm used to. Um. Well, you only see it head on. 
Yeah, so it's issue. it's not the best angle in the world. But look at it; it looks like it looks like a stormtrooper, like with a light on his a blue light in his head or something. I mean, and the stormtrooper helmet or something. Yeah, exactly, like a stormtrooper helmet with like <laughs> you know, like a you know, a cyclops stormtrooper or something. Anyway, so um, because I'm into this kind of stuff, you figure it should look a lot like Archer's phaser, right? Right. Um, and, and maybe it's just the angle, but I don't remember Archer's phaser being uh, emitting blue light when it was on stun. Maybe. Well, even then, mm. uh, because that seems like more of a um, an Abrams verse thing, right? And maybe that's why they did it. I don't know, but that I don't remember them the the Enterprise TV series phasers ever shooting blue light. So I went back to the original Broken Bow episode. Ooh, and nice. I played it. I did some research, and I played it. And uh, when their phasers shot, interestingly enough, it's mostly white. Oh, okay. Which I did not remember that. So there's a little bit of like red. There's like a little bit of a red flash closer to the phaser itself, but then the beam is pretty much white, bright white. Hmm. <laughs> Who knew? Interesting. Another interesting thing is when I look closer. The phaser they used in that first episode is totally different from the phaser design they used for the rest of the series. Is that right? And I did not remember that. I did not know that either. I'm going to have yeah. to go back and rewatch it. Well, take a look at that. Different phaser. Anyway. I know they had like two different kinds of phaser rifles, but I didn't, I didn't know they yeah. had two different phaser hand They phasers. did. The first hand phaser, yeah, it, it's just different. It's just very different. I, I, I like the one that they landed on. I think it's very cool looking. More more cool than the first one they used in the first episode. But still, they they all look good. It didn't have any bits that rotate unnecessarily. So I'm out. I yeah, I didn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> phaser rifle? Are we talking phaser rifle? No. Off no, of Taz? About, uh, no. Oh well, okay, but. As I do like the 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 cage the cage rifle. Oh, gotcha. The, the pistol. I like that one. Yeah, that's a good one. I like but that. But I don't like it when it flips in the 2009 movie. Oh, that. That rotate thing. Yeah. Okay, it gotcha, gotcha. It seem practical. Now, what's cool about the Enterprise phaser that they use for most of the, the, m- most of the series is the breach opened, mm-hmm. which is very cool. It. Exactly. And so that's where you put the power cell. Yeah, I like that. That was pretty cool. Was it, was it Mayweather that did that? He was, like, demonstrating it for some cadets or something, or some new people. I don't remember. Anyway, it's pretty cool when they opened it up, and it glowed, and, like, cool. Okay. All well. Right. Anything else see. for this issue? Uh, let's see. I thought it was very, aww, when Spock put his entire career on the line for Uhura, because he loved her. Oh, that's right. I guess we should talk about that. Cause we probably should. We won't really see him again. No. Although we might hear one of them. Right. So, uh, yeah, yeah, he's, uh, he just knew that she was going to break the rules and he needed to go ahead and cover her butt. <laughs> exactly. He covered her butt. There you go. Yeah. So, good job, Spock. Yeah, he's, he loves her. He does. Big lug. Even though that's illogical. Exactly. So, he does prof- profess his emotions. And pretty young in his life. Didn't he kind of come to acknowledging that he has emotions more so, you know, after he was in, after he died? (laughs) Well, more so in the movies, like especially by the sixth one. Right. He he was like, oh, no problem. Yeah, emotions. He was much more relaxed and and comfortable with his emotions after he died and came back. (laughs) Yes, I think you're right. I think you're right about that. I think death mellowed him quite a bit. Exactly. As as it will do. Okay, so uh, that's it. Number All right. five? All right, the final one, number five. Um, the artist and writing staff's all the same. The only difference is that uh, the letters is credited to and World Design. Aside from that, same as issue number four. This came out April of 2016. Uh, as before, there's three covers. Uh, the first one is by Derek Charm, and it shows... Uh, it's basically like three little 
whoops, kind of all angling towards the uh, upper right-hand part of the page. The uh, the top swoosh shows uh, Ahura, Spock, and Kirk. And then the middle one shows the five cadets from the series. And then the bottom one just shows a NX-05 uh, ship flying in profile. The next cover is kind of weird. It's uh, by also by Derek Charm. Actually, no, that's not true. It is by Malachi Ward. And it's yellow. The whole thing is yellow. And then we get a couple of headshots and some body shots of the five cadets kind of in different poses, kind of in the middle and off to the bottom right-hand side. But mostly yellow. And then the final cover, uh, this is by Stephen Thompson. And it shows the five cadets uh, kind of sitting or lounging as Val is just laying on the ground with his head propped up by his arm. Uh, but then the other four are kind of sitting behind him with uh, Sev holding a gun. And I guess they're in front of the Starfleet Academy campus. All right, so the story starts back inside that strange nebula. So we see the NX-05 Slayton uh, just in orbit, or not really orbit, but just hanging in space in front of the cadet's craft, which is from the future. Captain Hendricks of the Slayton informs the cadets that uh, they've only been trapped here for 61 days. The cadets beam over and explain to the Slayton crew that it's actually been 100 years into their own future. They discuss the current predicament of both ships since they're now both caught in what they call time quicksand, which means that the ships are unable to get out and the more power they sink into trying to get out just moves them further and further into the future. Talan works with the chief engineer who has postponed his mutiny and has been forgiven for it. Uh, as they try to rig up some way to get the two ships out. Later, Talon informs both crews of the plan. They will actually destroy the cadet's smaller ship with a warp core breach, and then the Slayton will ride the waves out like a surfboard. Chan volunteers to pilot the ship herself. Soon, she's out in space piloting the ship. She sets the warp core to breach, and then she beams over just in time as the Slayton is pushed back out of the nebula. Upon returning to normal space, the Slayton is greeted by a Federation ship, the USS Wilson. It seems to have worked, and they do not seem to have been pushed any further in time since when the cadets got caught. Later, the scavenger hunt is now completed, and the Starfleet team is deemed the winners. After the ceremony, Talon meets with the Vulcan team's leader at the Blue Tree. The Vulcan tells her that she would actually be welcomed back on New Vulcan, despite what he had said earlier. Talan later meets with Professor Trumbull and informs him that she will be staying in Starfleet Academy after all. Later, Talon is contacted by Ahura of the USS Enterprise. Ahura thanks the woman for figuring out the mystery of the Slayton from all those years ago. The end. Well, what a happy ending. All the conflicts have been resolved. All wrapped up. Nice little bow. Yes, yes. Nice little bow. Uh, and all the con... I mean, look at all of it. I mean, uh, as like Vel said, we lost the competition, yet I am joyous. I did mess up on the synopsis. They actually lost, but they won. They lost the competition, but they were exactly. rewarded with something. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. So, yeah. So, so you lose a stupid competition, but you save a famous um, lost ship, uh, Federation ship. That's wonderful. Right. They, they're, they're heroes. Much more than they would have been if they would have won some stupid competition. Yeah. This is real, idea. baby. It actually reminded me of a movie called Ten Cup. Did you ever see that with um, Oh yeah, Kevin Costner? Yeah, where he just kept dropping that the golf ball and trying to hit it over the water hazard. Yeah, to prove some point. Yeah, and that it 
you know, he lost he lost the tournament, but right. I think it was Rene Russo, maybe that was who it was, but she said something like No it's it was Don Johnson, not Kevin Costner. Right? No, Kevin Costner. Tin Cup. It was Kevin Costner. Yeah. Tin and Don Johnson's in it though somewhere. Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. been a long time since I saw it. <clears throat> But anyways, it was just that uh, people would remember him making that shot more than they would remember whoever actually won the tournament. Ah. Just like here. There you go. Even I had forgotten that they lost, and I was the one writing the synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, so also uh, apparently Bashir was just stunned, not killed. Right. So that's good. I think they uh, said that last issue. Yeah. To, well, she was in the background and stuff. I just, I just bring it up now. Uh, Talon reconciled and even got a nod of approval from the tall Vulcan guy that was a jerk before. Mm-hmm. Captain Hendricks uh, reconciles with his mutinous chief of engineering. It's like, how could things be better? Uh, well, maybe, uh, maybe the Andorian could meet up with his dad, and his dad's there at the ceremony. I'm proud of you, son. Oh, well, that would be good. That would have been... That would have been nice. That would have been nice. But he's making time with some some lovely lady at the end, telling his story about his fight with the, uh, with the, with the planetoid thing, worm. Yeah, where does he say that at? Uh, I don't remember. Oh, yeah. oh, just the, the green-haired woman at the end? Exactly. Oh, okay. He's making the moves on the green-haired woman. There you go. There you go. So good for him. And, of course, finally, the icing on the cake. The last thing we hear is Talan getting a call from Uhura. Right. So, uh, so apparently Uhura just gave up on it. Yep. She almost lost. You know, it took Spock to pull her, you know, pull her out of the fire, and she just, she just stopped. She gave up on it. Right. So maybe... Maybe the whole Nero thing happened shortly after that, and they all got graduated and assigned to the Enterprise, and she just forgot about it. Yeah, well, or overtaken like you by that. She 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 put some cryptic message. You know, if you're reading this, please investigate the the slate and exactly as I, if she was kidnapped or unable yeah, to do it herself. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Mm. You think that you know in her position now, she and Kirk could have looked at some more of those restricted files. Yeah. If they wanted to, but they obviously didn't because no. they wanted somebody else to do it. They backed off on it. It's not like the Slayton was going anywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Poor guys were just stuck there 400 years. Well, they couldn't know, though. Right. They couldn't understand or possibly know that there's a time dilation field going on. Although you would think if they lost the ship they would investigate it. And if you investigate it, you would find out that there's a time dilation field going on. And that at least would be an interesting thing, wouldn't you think? Wouldn't you think you'd be able to investigate this instead of just saying, oh, write them off! Yeah, and throw a couple of uh, beware buoys out there to keep anybody from else going in there. Yeah, no, it doesn't make sense. No. Well, that's my same same complaint as far as the Franklin being lost in... Mm -hmm. In that uh, asteroid field for all that time. Well, but, okay, but the Franklin, okay, so like Scotty says, oh, falling into a wormhole, whatever. It's like back then, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but back then when the Franklin was operational, they hadn't gone as far as where the Franklin ended up. I mean, the Federation and everything, right? Okay, so you're saying that the the Franklin fell into a wormhole, then got sucked to the vampire planet. Exactly. And to be cut off from the rest of the universe well, by a meteor storm. Yes. Which but then just happens also, to be the place where they build the space station. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that makes complete sense. But the important point that I think you're missing is that the Federation hadn't gotten that far yet. Mm-hmm. So well, that makes more sense. At least I, I thought this was like towards the edge of things, but maybe it isn't. Right. I thought it was the edge of things. Then why would they build a giant space station right there that looked very complicated and <laughs> unnecessarily complex? What What are you, McCoy? Now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what do you call it? A big snowball in space, or what? Uh, Just waiting to break. Yeah. Snow globe, that's it. Just waiting to break. 
Yeah, loved him. What a great character. Okay, so uh, I thought I like Captain Hendricks. Mm-hmm. Seemed like a nice guy. He did. Um, I like the joke about the much larger ship hiding behind their tiny cadet shuttle. That was good. Yeah, that was good. And then uh, his joke later when he's asking somebody to throw him a metaphor to dumb down uh, right, to land. Yeah, he did that quite a few times. Techno babble. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it, it, for the most part, Enterprise, they weren't as heavy on the techno babble. So they seemed a little bit more like, you know, we don't necessarily know what every, how everything works. We're just out here cowboying it up. And, right. um, and so having the maybe more advanced uh, techno or uh, experience about how to deal with all this stuff that's out in the grand, grand universe, the uh, Enterprise era folks haven't quite got, got there yet. Right. So correct me if I'm wrong. Um, how did how did the Enterprise D get out of its little time loop in that one episode with uh, where they kept blowing up and then oh right themselves yeah and did, Kelsey, Kelsey Grammer kept on ramming them yeah so they just dodged or they created some sort of explosion too I can't remember well they kept on trying the, all these different things didn't they and right. nothing worked they just kept on <sighs> what did right, they do. Yeah. They did whatever it was. It was Riker's suggestion because Data kept subconsciously seeing the number three everywhere. Right. From his future self or past self, whatever it was. Yeah. But anyways, um, I couldn't remember if they exploded something to get out of it or if uh, by not exploding. Yeah, I forgot because they tried so many different things to avoid it happening. It just kept on happening. And then finally, whatever they did worked, but I don't remember what it was. Yeah. Well, this this episode felt a lot like that. It did. Where you have a ship coming from the past. Right. And about 100 years, which is the same as Kelsey Grammer's um, ship. I forgot right. what it was called. Um, Me neither. Dang it. Dang it. I used man. to know it. I used to know all this stuff, and then now I'm getting older, and it's just like. It's all going I away. <laughs> oh, that stinks. Yeah. Well, you can't remember everything. Come on. Right. So um, my biggest complaint with the resolution of the story is that the cadets don't end up in the future. That they're able to maneuver in, oh, their, right. in, the, in the nebula. They're able to make a huge warp core explosion. Yeah. I mean, they already said that the more energy they get put into the nebula, yep. the further it moves them in time. So for him, it was 61 days, and they, you know, they basically well, yeah. completed their warp core trying yeah. to get out. Please, let's talk all about that, shall we? Okay. Okay, so they said 61 days. Um, and, of course, time is, plas- is is slower for them. So are they saying 61 Saratoga. days? Saratoga. Kelsey Grammer's ship, was it the Saratoga? Maybe, maybe. That, that sounds familiar. <laughs> all right, go ahead. So are they saying 61 days for the Slayton crew is equal to 100-plus years? Is that what they're saying? It's... That's what they're saying. Yet somehow he made a message five seconds before he was found that went back three years, at least three years, three years. Exactly. So the time I don't I didn't do the exact math, but I don't think that works because it's like to the second that of what Ohura heard. Right. Yeah. So she picked it up, but it seemed like but it seemed like Starfleet already knew it. Seems like she picked up something that Starfleet already knew oh, about. Oh, that's even better. Exactly. So, okay. Well, definitely the the reason they went lost is definitely was that's probably enough th- enough of a, an impetus to say we need more training. Okay, fine. But ah, but they definitely said they knew about the mutiny. So if they knew, I mean, Starfleet brass, right? They knew about the mutiny. So if they knew about the mutiny, it had to happen even further in the past. Exactly. So time is not linear. So not only is there a time dilation field, but exactly the rate at which time is fluctuating is out, uh, varies. Must, that must be it. Must be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't crazy about how the whole time thing worked in, in it. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, but see, what's funny is that I'm re- the whole time we're reading this, I'm like, I've seen 
this group of cadets in another story we read. And I kept thinking, I've seen, I think they were at the statue where Janeway was in that one where it was the, the woman who, who died. Oh, right. Yeah. And she was like the only woman who ever died in space or whatever, which we yeah. didn't really like, but they had a ceremony. They had that big statue. And at the end it had Janeway there. And in my mind, I was remembering that scene and I'm like, I think they were in the background of that scene. So I, the whole you time. You have to go back to that issue. The whole time they got caught, I was thinking, this must be how they end up in Janeway's cadet times, right? This is because they go from being cadets at this time, they save the Slayton, and they end up 100 years in the future again. That's what I kept thinking was going to okay, happen, but... but obviously it didn't happen. So then I did go back, and I was like, well, where did I see these people before? Right. And where I saw them was um, Star Trek Beyond – I'm sorry. Star Trek Boldly Go. So Oh, they in, were in an issue of Boldly Go? They're in several issues of Boldly Go. Really? Yeah. So okay. in the very first issue when Scotty's giving his lecture, okay. They're the they're the cadets that actually question him about stuff. Remember if if you remember that far. Oh. And the 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 one jerky Andorian with yep, the question? That's, that's, that's Chev? Yep. That was Chev? That was Chev. <laughs> that's cool. And in that picture, um, you can also see Jayla there from Star Trek Beyond. Oh, cool. So, yeah, did we talk about that? No. Uh, no, I don't think we, we probably did didn't. One, back when we did Boldly Go number one. Huh, huh. But then if you remember a few issues later, they did a, a Jayla episode, right, which was like her yes, background and that stuff. that was a great issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a great issue. And it ended up, the last scene was her in her Starfleet uniform, and in the background... There, the five of them are, hmm. and that was the picture that I was misremembering. As you know, I was thinking Janeway was in the foreground and they were way in the background, but hmm. obviously, my mind was playing tricks with me because because it does that, hmm. and it's actually <laughs> Jayla in the foreground and the five of them in the background. Right. So I kind of wonder, and I think that was boldly go number five. Um, I wonder if if they if they were to continue this series. If she would be the sixth member of the team. Mm. And if so, I would love that. That'd be cool. That'd be very cool. Yeah. Make that happen, IDW. <laughs> right. Because, I mean, she is sitting with them. She's sitting right next to Val in Boldly Go number one. Um, and then in the in that other one, she's they're all in the courtyard together. She's just at the forefront. Right. On a side note, I did send you the pictures in uh, a Skype message. Yes, before. that that's what kind of threw me off a little bit. I figured that. I didn't, I didn't mean for that to happen. Because, <laughs> it, it, you know, in Skype, it just comes up and says, bingo, hello, you got a message, right. or you got a something. Right. I just, uh, I wanted you to see the pictures as I was going, I was going to bring them up later. Okay. So anyway, so they are still there at Starfleet Academy, and they're with Jayla, and hopefully, uh, maybe at least in Boldly Go, we might see them again in the future. Cool. Well, it you know they they obviously have had these characters in mind. Um, what what was the date of this one again? Uh, this came out before. Oh, April twenty sixteen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they they were already established characters. Uh, they were already published, and they just had an opportunity at Starfleet. Academy, so let's throw them in. Right. Cool. There you go. Well, I think it's the other way around. I think this came out before Boldly Go, or before Beyond, and then they've kind of brought her into these five characters' lives. Okay. Right? When did... When did um, well, the Jayla the, the one was very recent. Right. So this is older than that. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So I think we're saying the same thing. I think we are. Yeah, so they had the five characters, and then now they're just having shoe- them pop up, shoehorning them in wherever. Exactly, exactly. Hey, hey, we're gonna have something at Starfleet Academy. Better trot out Talon and all, all those people. Yeah, let them in the background again. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully they'll get to actually do something one of these days. Yeah. Maybe when they do the hundred and first Starfleet games or whatever this is, uh, right? They can, they can bring it up. Scotty will go visit him and say, you know, because Jayla's now part of the team. Yeah, see? I, that, would be right. a, that would be a great excuse to bring Scotty into an issue. 
All right. Uh, what else you got for this issue, Ken? Well, uh, I was very interested to find out that Val apparently really likes pie. So oh, he does like pie. Uh, characters continue to develop in important ways <laughs> to, the, to the end of the issues. That's cool. Um, also, we get to see the NXO1 refit yet again. All right. I missed it. Where is it? Oh, it's on, it's on Talon's desk. Exactly. It's on her bookshelf or whatever. Some yeah. shelf under her uh, window. Maybe she's in the same room as uh, Uhura was all those years ago. Oh, maybe. How interesting. What an interesting thought. But anyway, somebody really likes that NX-01. And I'm going to guess it's the artist, but... Well, what's there not to like? Exactly. Uh, So I'm kind of wondering um, what a Turation is. Um, In what regards? Well... When the shuttle blew up and the Slayton was accelerated out of the energy field, um, somebody said the compression wave is approaching, and then 200 turations. And so 200, okay. Oh, is, okay. That a, is that a unit of force or something? It's teratons. Ah. Uh... Teratons? I thought it was Terations. Pretty sure it's Teratons. Okay, let me look at it again. Like kiloton. Well, okay, so that that would make sense. But it looked like it was Teration. But I I guess I probably misread it. It's spelled the same way. Well, T I O N is not the same thing as ton. It's it's T O N S. It's T E R A. T-O-N-S. Okay. Got it. Uh, I'm looking I'm looking at it again. Of an explosion or okay. bomb based on... I saw an I between the T and the O. There goes my eyes. Yeah, I saw an I there. So it was terations to uh, my eye. And I, do, I went ahead and looked it up. It's like, there is no such word. What is this? Okay, teratons makes Teraton. much more sense. One trillion much, tons of TNT. Much more sense. Much more sense. So yeah, this is two hundred trillion tons of TNT. Wow, it's a pretty big explosion. That is an explosion. I must say, I'm surprised they weren't uh, blown a little bits. Yep, but they made it. They did because those NX ships were built to last. <laughs> Apparently so. None of this disposable technology like you get nowadays. God damn, Sonny. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, the ship, the Wilson, yes. that was a very odd-looking ship. Isn't it? Three nacelles. You don't see that very often. Or is one of them supposed to be some sort of... Nope, it looks like a nacelle. That's a nacelle. Yeah, it's weird. So it looks like so... a Miranda-type ship with three nacelles on the bottom instead exactly. of... Exactly. So how many... I mean, how many ships, Starfleet ships, had three nacelles? Not that many. Uh, uh, Rikers. Alternate, alternate D. Exactly. Exactly. Riker, Admiral Rikers, alternate <laughs> Enterprise D that didn't get destroyed. Right. That had three. Um, I'm sure some other one had three, but that's sure. the only one I'm, I'm drawing a blank except for that. It just... With those those engines and how big they are compared to the saucer section, yeah, you like look at that and you're like, man, I bet that thing's fast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Supercharged, super duper. Yeah, and interesting that it just happened to be there. It might have been looking for the cadets that that disappeared. Okay, so how much time? Okay, so back to your point. How much time passed? Unsure. Because it makes it look like it's like oh, it's just like normal time. It could have been a week, right? Because it does say a week later. Well, no, it says a week later, so who knows? Okay. Well. Yeah, I don't know. But the thing is, is that it couldn't have been too much time because all the cadets from the from the whole training thing, or they're the, still there from the, the competition. Sub, yeah, the Sarah, the the Vulcan guy is still there. Yeah, the Vulcan guy is still there. So you assumed everybody else is still there, right? So it can't be too much longer after right. the, they disappeared, right? Which I didn't like. I needed nope. them to. Be, I agree. Somewhere in the future. I agree. Or at least, you know, a month or so. Yeah, something. Anyways. Okay. So that's the last I have of it. Not bad. 
Nope. It's a nice story. I, I like the ending. I mean, there are things that are a little not perfect, but hey, overall not bad. Yep, good Entertaining. stuff. I like it. Yeah. All right. Okay, so what are we doing next week? Issue 273. Let's do uh, Waypoint, shall we? Do we have enough? Cool. I don't know. I'm sure we have enough Waypoint and Boldly Go. Okay. Great. So Waypoint and go Boldly Go. Right. Sounds Perfect. good. Okay. Tune in next week to find out which one. <laughs> exactly, because we're not going to tell you. Even if, we, even if we knew. But they're the latest ones. The latest ones. Yeah. Just okay. be caught up on your Boldly Go and Waypoint and, and those are the ones recovery. Exactly. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, until then, um, hope everybody has a good good week, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at star t comicbookreview at gmail.com Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic second name book review See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review Let's get the hell out of here